If you have your Bibles, turn to the gospel according to John chapter 6. My subject this morning is simply Jesus, the bread of life. Now, as we go through this passage, I want us to notice how the Lord, once again, as he did back in chapter 4, connects with people in their direct day-to-day environments. What's going on? We saw back in chapter 4 when he came to the woman at the well, Jesus presented himself to her as living water. Here, with people for whom he had just, who had just become the immediate beneficiaries of one of the greatest miracles they had ever seen, the feeding of over 15,000 people, he connects with them not as living water, but as the bread of life. John chapter 6, I will begin reading in verse number 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Verily I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do? to do the works that God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, verily I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it was it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirst, will never be thirsty. But as I, t- I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. Jesus, the bread of life. Not jumping too far ahead, but it is sad that there are things we see in this passage, something that remains true today. Following after Jesus because they want something. And we see that in our world today. They wanted more of the miracle he performed on that mountainside when he took five loaves and two fish and fed over 15,000 people. Now we thank God for the many blessings he he brings into our lives. God delights, the Bible says, in blessing his people. And we need to ask deep down often is do we truly seek after God for himself or just because of what he provides? 
Are we solely trying to have a life blessed by the Lord to the things that we have? Do we believe in him for him? Or do we believe in him for stuff? To get the best understanding of this story, we need to begin to trace the various movements of the various people. Jesus had just performed, as I said, a miracle in feeding over 15,000 people, starting with five small barley loaves, loaves of bread about the size of a small child's fish and uh, a fist, and two small fish about the size of sardines. In response, the crowd wants to make him their king because they're overwhelmed by this miracle and not just their king from the standpoint of them being obedient, but make him their political leader so he can be a catalyst in freeing them from Roman occupation. And it says, as we read last week, they want to make him their king by force. I don't know about you. I've never been able to force God to do anything. I think I tried once to tell him he really should be doing things the way I think he should be doing them. He didn't agree. Jesus, wanting no part of this being king by force, goes into a private spot in the mountain to avoid the crowd's efforts and to meditate. The disciples get into their boat and go to Capernaum. And we saw last week on that travel, they encounter a storm. And in the midst of this storm that had them frightened, they see Jesus coming to them in an unusual way. He's coming to them walking on the water. And as soon as they invite him into the boat, they are able to reach the other side. It says immediately because of being in the presence of Jesus. And now the crowd, it says in this part of the scripture that we just read, realizes that Jesus is no longer with them no longer local to them, and, that the, and so they begin to head to Capernaum to try and find him and look for him, verse 24 says. First, they're amazed that Jesus is with the disciples in the boat because they realize he didn't leave with them in the boat. Obviously, they weren't privy to all parts of the story. So they're trying to connect dots here. And they're basically saying in verse 25, how'd you get here? How, how did you get here? I think it's awesome that Jesus completely ignores the question. How did you get here? Well, he goes into the deeper issues of why they were searching for him. While they may have been puzzled, Jesus knows that's not the only thing on their minds. Verse 26, verily I tell you, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They were following him for miracles, not signs. And what's the difference? Miracles are awesome. They really are. To see the supernatural happen right before your eyes, to see people healed when medical science has no answer, to see people delivered from addictions they have had and been in bondage to for years, to see God miraculously provide in a situation financially when there really was no possible way for that to happen, to see marriages healed where there was no visible way for them to last, to see people who have strayed far from the Lord come back to him. We thank God for miracles 
and believe they are still for today. These are all truly wonder, wonderful to see happen, especially when they happen to you directly. But is the prospect of them happening with him, is the prospect of them happening in your life why we stay with him? We all remember our good friend, dear good friend, Brother Job. Wonderful good friend. Scriptures declare that he was a devout man. More devout than anyone living at the time. He was a righteous man. And he had a, a, an awe for God that was unparalleled. And he was blessed beyond measure in the size of his family, in the size of his estate, in the size of all the, his possessions. He was blessed beyond measure. And then the scripture tells us in Job chapter 1 that God is having this, this meeting. And all the angels of heaven are there, and Satan shows up. Still haven't been able to figure out why in the world he was there, but he was. And God begins to do something that when I was younger, I used to think, wouldn't that be great if God did that with me? I've come to realize as I've gotten older, I don't ever want God to brag on me. Especially to the devil. But God is bragging on Job, have you considered this man? In Job chapter 1, verse number 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God's bragging on him. And then Satan replies, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. And from this, the next 46 chapters of the book of Job unfold. Now, in, in the end, Job does prove faithful. Even in the very next chapter, we have the verse so many of us quote in times of trouble that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that was his initial reaction to the beginning of the things being taken away as the devil comes against him to strike what he has. But we know as things begin to progress and the temptations and the trials get more severe, Job goes through some struggles, as does his wife. And I've always thought there was so much unfair criticism on Job's wife. Because when you look at all that Job lost, his home, his possessions, his livelihood, all of his children in one day, what did his wife lose? All the same things. I've said this before. Ladies, be honest with me today. If you've just lost all of your security, all of your possessions, everything that was around you that made you feel safe and comfortable, and in the same day, you lost all of your children. And your godly husband steps forward and says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're going to tell him to drop dead, aren't you? Which is what essentially Job's wife did. So let's cut her some slack here. 
but it became clear that Job had to go through this, this hurdle. And Jesus is here making the same observation that is similar to the accusation the devil made. They were not following him, this crown, because of the signs pointing to who Jesus was as the Messiah. They didn't embrace the miracles that pointed to the one who would give them so much more in life than bread. They focused on the end result of his power, not on him as Lord and Savior. They saw the miracle, but they missed the sign. Bread that fills our stomachs, whether produced from a, a miraculous move of God or from a local um, bakery, is not spiritual or eternal food. But Jesus used this miracle of bread and fish to point to them all that there is something deeper, something more miraculous, something more lasting and eternal that he came to give into their lives and still comes to give into our lives today. Verse 27 says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give. Now, I want to be clear, because I've heard people kind of misinterpret things. Jesus is not saying here, do not work. He's not saying work is bad. The Apostle Paul made that clear under the power of the Holy Spirit that those who, should not, who, who don't work shouldn't eat. But our lives are a whole lot more, and this is the point that we oftentimes, at times, can even miss in the church. Our lives are a whole lot more than the stuff we acquire and the accumulation of things. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about the body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? And to look at our culture today, you would have to say most people don't believe that. They believe all that life is encompassed in whether or not they have the latest styles, or the latest fashions. I can't tell you how chuckled I was a few years ago when I realized bell bottoms had come back in style. When I was certain once the 70s faded away, they would never, ever return. And when it wasn't bell bottoms that made me chuckle, and I began seeing kids with these huge afros, and the pictures of me as a 17-year-old with a huge afro, I am going to do my best to have no one in this church ever see those pictures. But those things that we think that they make up life, they fade away. They're temporary. Is not life more than food or clothes? Looking at our culture, you wouldn't think so. People live for the latest fashions. People line up for hours, sometimes overnight or days, for the latest gadget. I can't tell you over the last couple of weeks on my job at work supporting a law firm and their mobile devices, how many attorneys have asked me, when is the new iPhone coming out? And I give them the same answer, when it does. It'll be here when it gets here. Life is more than just things that make you look stylish or modern or hip. 
Again, having these things or wanting these things in and of themselves is not the issue. If you want to grow your hair to an afro out to here right now, I've lost that ability to do that. But if you want to, that's fine. And if you want to go get bell bottoms, go for it. If you want to spend the next 20 hours online at an Apple store waiting for the iPhone 15 to come out, be my guest. But we need to be specific. We follow Jesus not because of the things he gives us, but because of the love and peace he has brought into our lives. He feeds us with physical things, yes. He takes care of us in the physical, but he gives us so much more. He has given us spiritual bread that truly is the bread of life. A gadget can't be the bread of life. Jesus wanted the people to look to him, not to things. Because the things he provides... Our gift. He told them, do not work. And again, work's not bad. But you can't work for what God gives freely. And we need to see that. His love is a gift. Well, maybe if I am good enough, he'll love me. God loves you. But you don't know what kind of person I am. God does. And he loves you anyway. His love is a gift. Church, his presence is a gift. Well, if I behave a certain way and I speak a certain way and use certain language, he won't be there. His presence is a gift. And David made it clear, where can you go from his presence? The peace that he gives is a gift. The grace that he gives is a gift. You can never earn these things. So many Christians, rightly so, say they want to live a life that pleases God. And pleasing God with the things that we do and the choices that we make is a good thing. The Bible is clear. We do righteous things to please him. But we need to be careful as believers. The works of people do not produce the gifts of God. They're gifts. They're freely given. Many see God wanting to know what he wants them to do and Jesus made it clear in this passage. You want to know what the work of God is? Believe in him. Believe in him with a belief that changes your heart, that changes your life. All of the world's religion offer many answers to what can I do to earn God's favor? And it's all based on works. But in verse 29, Jesus' answer is simple. The work of God is this, as I just said, to believe in the one he sent, and you can't go around this step. I've said this before, but as I look around our culture, and even as our culture sees its way into the church, I see this over and over again. Beloved, God is not a genie. You don't just rub a lamp or rub your Bible or say a certain prayer, and now you get three wishes. God is not a genie. God is not Santa. Yes, he is looking and he does notice. But our walk with the Lord is by faith. And faith in him, not in the stuff he gives. Now, I can understand fully why the world doesn't get this. Because they don't believe in him. What I... I can't understand is how people in the church don't get this. 
I've never understood the name it and claim it philosophy. How you would assign someone's spiritual standing and assess their connection with God based on the junk of the stuff of the material things that they have. Yes, Jesus provides. Yes, faith can move mountains. But Jesus is not a wish book. I'm going to date myself now. Anybody remember the Sears Roebuck catalog that used to come at Christmas time? And as kids, we would just open the thing and look at it and realize, I'm not getting any of this stuff. <laughs> but it got the name over time as a wish book because it had all kinds of wonderful things. Jesus is not a wish book. He's a savior. And he's a personal friend who walks with us each and every day. That is a, by his gift to us. Our faith, our obedience, our commitment to follow Jesus will waver and fall away. If it's based on how well we live or how much he continually gives us. Because if your faith in the Lord is based on how much you get, what happens in those seasons when you don't get as much? And anyone ever been in a season where they've had lack? No, I have. Anyone ever been in a season where things didn't go the way you wanted them to? Anyone ever pray for someone to be healed and they didn't get better? Does that mean that God is still not on the throne? Of course he's still on the throne. We've shared this before. He causes it to rain on everybody. The sun shines on everybody, but it also rains on everybody. The crowd's response, what sign then will you give us? Verse 31, that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? They're basically asking Jesus, what is the next hoop you're going to jump through? They had just seen a miracle. And basically they're asking him, okay, but that was yesterday. What are you going to do for me now? They wanted an assurance, not that he had the power to perform miracles. They wanted an assurance of a continuous supply. They even comment, well, Moses provided for the people of God in the wilderness. And I love Jesus' answer. Yes, he provided manna for 40 years to the people of Israel. And Jesus corrects them. Moses provided nothing. God provided the manna. We always need to be clear. I'm thankful when people pray for me, I'm thankful for prayer warriors who have a connection with God that they can get a hold of God in a dire situation. But when God comes through with the answer, God gets all the glory. Lesson there about taking credit for what God has done. But that's a message for another time. But they wanted that bread that the people of Israel had in the wilderness. And Jesus was trying to get through to them. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And who believes in me shall not thirst. He was standing right there in their midst. He was performing miracles that needed to be seen as signs that pointed to something beyond the actual miracle itself. He was offering them something far greater than material possessions or provision. He offered them the bread of life. Church, he offered them himself. Bread that would 
remove the dissatisfaction with life many people go through. Often feel, well, what does it all matter? What does it all mean? Water that will quench the thirst for people searching for answers. But why am I here? What's my purpose? Are there people like that, Pastor? Look around you. The overwhelming majority of the stuff that we are advertised that you can't live and be happy without. But Jesus is the only one and the only place to get living water and the bread of life. And yet, right there he was, had just performed a miracle the day before. In verse 36, he says, you saw me, but don't believe. We all pray for our loved ones who are far from the Lord. But I want us to really take something to heart because we often say, Lord, just step into their lives and do something miraculous. And yet, oftentimes, that's not going to do it. It didn't do it for these people. Jesus told a parable in the Gospel of Matthew about a man named Lazarus who died and he wasn't a good man. No, Lazarus was good. The other man wasn't. The other man died and he's in hell and he says, to Jesus, to God, can you go tell my father, uh, uh, family about where I am and so they can get right? And Jesus says, even if they saw Abraham come or an angel come, they're not going to believe. We're kidding ourselves if we think that miracles have a way of giving lasting power. We believe God for miracles, but we believe him for him. Because he, he is the Savior. I'm thankful for what God did in my life with regard to speech. But you know what? If he had never healed that speech impediment, I'd still serve him. Because he is my Savior. He is the Lord. I encourage you today. Come to him each day. Put your trust in him each day. He is the bread of life. You know, it's always, it, it's come to me that it's kind of funny that when we think about giving somebody something because we're punishing them or disciplining them, and they often use this with, with prisoners, we're going to limit them to just bread and water. Well, if that bread is the bread of life and that living water is Jesus, I'm down with that. Jesus, the bread of life. Stand with me, please.